Pastor Len Andrews from the Well Ministries with today's study, Genesis chapter 46. We continue the series in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46 and verse 28, hear the word of the Lord. Then he, meaning Jacob, sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. Verse 33. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even until now. Both we and also our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Verse 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Stop right there. Now when you look at this, we, we kind of got an understanding of what has happened up to this point. We look back and we can see what all has transpired. We know that there was testings of many sorts, we know that trials have come upon Joseph up to that point, and then he is exalted in all the land of Egypt as the right hand uh, to Pharaoh. But it also says that he was like a dad over Pharaoh. He was a father to Pharaoh, meaning that he was a guidance. He was a counselor to him. And so in looking at this, we kind of look back and we see in verses 44, 1 through 13, Joseph gave his brothers the last test. Christ will do the same thing to the nation of Israel, as we've said before. The prophecies in the Bible say that Christ will test the children of Israel, but it does not tell us how he tests them. However, the story of Joseph's dealing with his brothers gives us a detailed picture of this. Even today, the nation of Israel is ignorant of the fact that Christ is testing them. The LSM commentary says this, Now we come once again to a parenthesis regarding the matter of life. Remember, nearly everything in the book of Genesis is a seed. The first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, reveals Christ on the one hand and the kingdom of God on the other hand. 
Matthew also clearly indicates that we realize God's kingdom by denying ourselves. In Matthew 16, Christ, the church, and the kingdom are all revealed. In this chapter, the Lord Jesus told his disciples that if anyone would follow him, this one would have to deny himself. And at the end of Genesis, we find a seed of the truth of self-denial. In the closing chapters of Genesis, Christ is typified by Joseph, and the kingdom is foreshadowed by the house of Israel. Because Joseph denied himself, the kingdom of God could be realized in a practical way. The entire universe belongs to God, and God desires a kingdom. Although Pharaoh was ruling in Egypt, the kingdom of God was nonetheless realized through the reign of Joseph. The reigning of Joseph was the kingdom of God, which is for the fulfillment of God's purpose. According to the book of Exodus, the purpose of God is to have a dwelling place on the earth. But at the end of Genesis, we see a miniature of God's kingdom. In all of history, we cannot find anyone to match Joseph. Although he was offended by his brothers to the uttermost, he did not seek revenge. With Joseph, there was no thought of revenge. Rather, he denied himself and rendered the adequate and necessary discipline to his brothers. Joseph did not discipline his brothers for his own sake, but for their sake. Joseph was a person who denied himself. Whatever he did was based upon the principle of self-denial. I do not know of any other person who was offended to the degree Joseph was, yet who had not the slightest desire for revenge. When he revealed himself to his brothers, they were terrified. Joseph, however, not only forgave them, but received them and comforted them. He said, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Here we see that the offended one comforted the offending one. So, now principle. Often when Christians forgive someone, they say, Yes, I forgive you, but I also want to remind you of the seriousness of what you've done. This kind of forgiveness does not mean anything, for actually it is not forgiveness at all. When Joseph forgave his brothers, he comforted them and told them not to be angry with themselves, but to forget what they had done to him. He said that their selling him into slavery was God's doing to preserve life. Joseph did not blame his brothers for what they had done. Rather, he regarded them as God's helpers. They had helped God to get him to Egypt. Now, isn't that true? It's what they were. There were tools in the hands of God, and God says that he makes vessels of unrighteousness, and he makes vessels of righteousness. Now, here is the kind of the catch, if you would say that, is that we were all unrighteous at one time or another, were we not? And we all did wicked things. How many of you could testify to the fact that you went and pushed someone, as you look back at it, you went and pushed someone into their God-given destiny? Tonight I was sharing with somebody that, you know what, have you ever thought that you are in the right place at the right time for God's purpose? Because this person is being persecuted by another person's words, their offenses. But did you ever stop to think that right now, where you at, somebody is taking you into your destiny where you need to be? We were used like that in somebody's life. Now other people are being used like that in our lives. So why do we think it's uncommon? Why do we think that's something that's out there that shouldn't be done? Listen, every single one of us, we need to listen to what Solomon said. And you know what he said? There's nothing new under the sun. 
What everybody in times past has gone through, we are going through now. We are only reliving what they went through. And so I can tell you this, that don't think that you are just one person that is picked out by God and say, okay, this unique individual, I'm going to put them through this. No. Your brethren throughout all the entire world are going through something just like you are, if not something worse. So always remember that. And yet, they were used as tools to get Joseph where he needed to be. So ask yourself the question, am I in the perfect place at the perfect time? You know what the easy thing to do is? The easy thing is to quit, to turn around, to, to no longer do that thing that you were doing before. The hard thing is sticking by faith, sticking through the trial, sticking through the turbulation. That's the hard part. You know why? Because you are going through that self-denial. Because how many of you inside, you really want to say something, you really want to do something, but yet it's the power of the Holy Spirit that rules and reigns in your life. And you know what you find? Hey, God really is the master of my life. Joseph needed to undergo trials and testings. Because Joseph was the favorite, he lived in a pleasant environment. There was no way for him to suffer anything. He was always under his father's protection. But one day, according to the Lord's sovereignty, Jacob sent Joseph to his brothers, and they sold him into slavery. Through the sufferings that came upon him, Joseph was trained to be a ruler. Let me say that one more time. Through the sufferings that came upon him, Joseph was trained to be a ruler. Do you understand that? He was trained as he went through suffering. He wasn't trained when everything was well, when everything was provided for him. No, he was under his dad's protection. His dad gave a command, and, and for the most part, his sons would listen, and he was always protected. But once he was taken away, once he was separated from that protection, then all he had was God. And it was through those trials, through those tribulations, that he realized what he was really made of. And it was there that he was trained to be a ruler. Question. Now this comes to the father and Jacob coming to Joseph. And I, and I always kind of wondered this. And even today, I mean, just more, more wondering about this. But when Joseph did send for his father, he himself did not go down to get him. He could have driven a chariot with escorts, horses, and carts, but why didn't he? Did you ever think about that? Why didn't he himself, why did he send his brothers back to get his dad? Why didn't he mount a stallion? Why didn't he put Clydesdales in front of that cart and go and zoom all the way down to Canaan to pick up his dad? He didn't do it. Why? He could have had a royal escort. He could have made sure that everything was taken properly and that his dad didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was get up there and, and he would have been transferred all the way back to Egypt and taken there personally by Joseph. But he didn't. Why didn't he do that? Well, you know why? Because it all goes back to self-denial. The answer? He was fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. He was fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you something. Joseph really allowed God to rule and reign in his life. He allowed the Spirit to rule him. 
How many of you have put in that situation, man, you would run if you had to, to go and get your mom or your dad. You would run to go and get the one that you loved if you had to, and you would carry them on your back to take them to the land where there was plenty of, plenty of food and plenty of substance to, to sustain them. Yeah, sure you would have. I know I would have, right? But some of you might say, well, wait a minute. Joseph was a busy man. There he was. He was able to give out grain. He was able to meet every person that was coming in. He was able to do all the transactions. He was the business side. He was ruling in second uh, uh, only to Pharaoh. Uh, so he probably must have had a lot of responsibility. And you're probably right in a sense. But he could have delegated people to do it. If he was a wise ruler the way that he should have been, and everyone who is in leadership knows this, everyone that I speak to right now, all of you that are in leadership know this, one of the greatest things that you can do as a leader is to train somebody if you're not there. When I leave, I have no problem leaving anything in the hands of Pastor Ryan. You know why? Because he's absolutely trained, and he is perfected in the sense that the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in his life. And then I can leave with no problem. Every one of you that is in a position of being a boss or a supervisor or anything like that, you should know that the first thing that you should do is have somebody that knows your job in case something happens. We never ever plan for death, but we should because tomorrow is not promised to anybody. So Joseph could have very easily delegated someone else. But you know what? That wasn't it. He was fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, don't think that Joseph was not eager to see his dad. He certainly longed to see him. But even on the day of his father's arrival, Joseph was still at home. He did not make a special trip to meet his father on the way. I say that Joseph was a person fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. However, when he heard that his father had arrived in Goshen, he presented himself unto him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. He was eager to see his dad. But you know what? The timing was not supposed to be in Joseph's timing. It was supposed to be in God's timing. Let me say that one more time. The timing was not supposed to be in Joseph's timing, or as I can say to you, it's not to be in your timing or in my timing. It should be according to God's timing. Every one of us should allow the Holy Spirit to rule and to reign in our lives. This proves that Joseph was very emotional and that he had a heart for his father. But he did not act according to his emotion. Rather, he always acted under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because of this, he was able to be a ruler. Did you get that? One more time, let me read that. This proves that Joseph was very emotional and that he had a heart for his father. But he did not act according to his emotion but he did not act according to his emotion but he did not act according to his emotion rather he always acted under the control of the holy spirit and because of this he was able to be the ruler remember this if you cannot rule yourself you cannot be a good ruler how many of you saw that tonight if you cannot rule yourself, you cannot be a good ruler. Write it down. Remember it. Jot it. Whatever you need to do, always remember that. If you cannot rule yourself, you cannot be a good ruler. In other words, if you do not have self-discipline in your life, 
how do you expect anyone around you to be disciplined? If they see you loose and acting the way that you want to act, they're going to be the same way, right? Because you attract those, especially when you're in your flesh, you attract those that can act just like that. If you cannot rule yourself, you cannot be a good ruler. Suppose you lose your temper whenever you feel like it. If so, then you are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you must have self-control. Okay? You must be able to rule yourself. And by that I mean the Holy Spirit needs to have control over your life. And Joseph was a great example of that. Joseph was a great example of one who was controlled by the Spirit. As much as he loved his dad... The Spirit said, it's not the time. As much as he wanted to caress his dad and love his dad and probably go after his dad, the Holy Spirit said, now's not the time. So he waited for God's timing. And when it was, the Spirit took him where he needed to be. And it says there was a great, great reunion at that time. Verse 28 says this. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Now, as we've read in the past verses before this, uh, last week and the week before, one thing that we will see is that Judah had come to the forefront as one that was kind of the speaker for everybody, but he was one who was really passionate. He was one that had changed his heart, his mind, and he was really one that wanted to care for his dad, one that loved his younger brother. And, and, and by the way, all of them really loved their dad. At the very beginning, as you remember, they didn't care for their dad or his feelings. Uh, they were so callous towards him, probably because Jacob went and favored his uh, son Joseph. And because of that, there was probably a little bit resentment towards him. And so we see that they come and they bring the coat of many colors that was Joseph's. They kill a goat, put the blood on it, and not caring for his feelings at all, just kind of throw it before him and say, check, is this your son's coat? He starts weeping. They do not correct themselves and say, no, you know what, this is what happened. No. They were very callous towards the way he felt. And it says they allowed him to mourn. He was grieved uh, to the point of, of great sorrow. And the Bible says that uh, Jacob could not be comforted because of the sorrow that he felt. And so they really did not regard his feelings. And, and so when we read and we see at the latter part, none of them want to go and, and they, don't, they don't want to go back to their dad without their youngest brother, Benjamin. And so they're all willing to give up their lives for Benjamin. And so there's kind of a change in their attitudes, change in their hearts. And so here we see that Judah was the leading one. And so having proved his worthiness, having proved that he indeed was part of the forefront, that his dad Jacob would really look up to in terms of, of being the one, the go-to guy that he could trust and, and really uh, uh, go to Joseph and, and, and get a, a task accomplished. It says that he sent Judah before him to Joseph. And so Judah comes to Joseph and asks where they should stay. Uh, and, 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 and as we're going to read, he directs them in the right place. Verse 29. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. We are talking about a reunion that it wasn't just a high, a mere hug. We are talking when it says that he wept on his neck a good while, like a long period of time. He had not seen his dad in 22 years. 
He had not seen his dad since he took the throne, the second in charge of all of Egypt, but really the one in charge of all of Egypt. Even though it was within his power, even though it was within his might to go ahead and to bring his dad to Egypt, he didn't do it. And so he waited all those years to see his dad. And in God's timing, when the time was right, it says he presented himself to his dad and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good long while. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, what a great, a true great testimony of God and reconciliation and the way that God brings things together. How wonderful that is. Verse 30. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. He was happy. He was happy. He didn't say, now let me uh, gain more possessions now that I'm here in Egypt. Uh, he didn't say, now that I'm here, now we can uh, live a great life and, and let's just have a great time. No. He was content. He was content with just seeing Joseph. Nothing else mattered. It didn't matter about the grain. It didn't matter about the fact that Egypt had a lot of supply. He was just content to see his son Joseph. He was happy. He was elated. How many of you have ever been in that position to where you see somebody that, and you're so surprised and you see them, you're like, wow, God, I, I, it's so great to see you. Or how many of you have been away for so long from your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or the one that you loved? And even now, maybe you still haven't seen them, but you're just thinking in your mind right now, boy, the time when I get to, uh, to have a reunion with that person I love, boy, it's going to be a great time. And you can't even imagine how wonderful that's going to be because it's been such a long time. You know, I remember uh, a while back when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, well, not really when I got out of the Marine Corps, I came on leave one time, and it was right after the war. And uh, a friend of mine that, that I knew from high school uh, 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 one day, uh, I went with my, one of my friends to McDonald's, and uh, after that, we went to see another friend that I knew, because I wanted to connect with them, uh, you know, and just say, you know, hey, uh, how you guys doing? Uh, uh, and I wanted to see everybody and just, you know, reconnect with them. And when I was there, another guy came out of the house, and he said, Len, Len, and he came up and, and he hugged me. And he said, my goodness, it's so great to see you. And then he hugged me and he hugged me and he hugged me. I was like, wow, that, that's great. It's great to see you too, man. You know, it's really nice to see you. But what I didn't realize, and he told me after, is that there had been a rumor going around that I got killed in Kuwait. And when he saw me, it was like, ha, huh. oh my goodness, you're not dead. That's great. You know, and it was, it, it recharged him. And you guys remember that we read in here that when Jacob heard that his son Joseph was alive, it said he was revived. You remember that? And that day, that was kind of something that reminded me of that. And I was like, wow, that's so awesome that God does that. He was so content of seeing Joseph that his, his, his whole life, it seemed everything now was fine. And I'm going to tell you something right now even though it was 22 years from the time that he had seen Joseph, do you know that for that time, his heart, part of his heart was gone. It's like something inside of him died when he thought Joseph died. And he had to relive that. 
He had to think about that, I'm sure, every day. And he had to think about those things. And you know what? At the end of it, he saw Joseph and he was revived. That's what God does. He makes the dead come to life. And that's what he did with Jacob. He brought him back to life in a sense. And Israel, when he saw him, he said, now let me die since I've seen your face because you're still alive. He was just happy to see him alive. Now, verses 31, 32, I want to read all of these and pay attention because there's a point that I'm going to make from this. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say your servants occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is abomination to the Egyptians. Now, when I read that last part, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians, and we're going to read that uh, Joseph goes into great detail to cover this, and the Bible makes sure that it covers this, and it covers this very well, because it covers it twice, two times. That Joseph says it. He says it once, and then the second time, uh, Pharaoh's going to ask them what their occupation is, and they have to repeat it again. And it all points to, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So what does that mean? Why were the shepherds despised? G.I. Wenham says, shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians, probably reflects a common distrust of nomadic peoples by urban dwellers. What that means is, foreign shepherds would come in, and they would, they would just come and they would take... And they would allow their, uh, 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 their, their shepherd, their sheep to, to graze. And there was a common distrust because a lot, of, a lot of stuff that was done shouldn't have been done. Okay, and, and, and the IVP Bible background commentary says this. It is unlikely that native Egyptian herdsmen would be detested by other Egyptians. Joseph's advice to his father is both a warning about Egyptian attitudes towards strangers and a piece of diplomacy and that they would claim independent status that they had their own herds to support them and show they were not an ambitious group who wished to rise above their occupation as shepherds. Derek Kidner likes the explanation of J. Virgote. A more likely explanation is that of J. Virgote, that this is only the perennial antipathy of the town dweller for the nomad or the gypsy. Joseph saw the importance of emphasizing this to ensure that Pharaoh's goodwill would be to the family's real benefit, not to their detriment by drawing them into an alien way of life at the capital. Also, when the 12 tribes of Israel migrated to Egypt, they encountered a lifestyle foreign to them. The Egyptians were agriculturalists. As farmers, they despised shepherding because sheep and goats meant death to the crops. Did you get that? I think that's a big reason why. Battles between farmers and shepherds are as old as they are fierce. Now that makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? Now, now I, I, I would assume that there was support from that. And, and as I read the historical accounts of that and the way that they fought back and forth, that was true, that they didn't trust the outsiders that came in because a lot of stuff, like I said, was done that shouldn't. The sheeps and the goats, they would eat up a farmer's produce in no time. 
Okay, now this is absolutely true, but it wasn't only during that time. You could find that if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And you say, what do you mean by that? Do you know that at the very beginning, the first murder occurred between farmers and shepherds? Abel was a shepherd that offered the fat to God. And Cain offered the produce of the land. So it goes all the way back to Genesis. They were fighting constantly. And shepherds, they had no respect towards one another. Egyptians considered sheep worthless for food and sacrifice. Egyptian art forms and historical records portray shepherds negatively. Neighboring Arabs, their enemy, were shepherds. And Egyptian hatred climaxed when shepherd kings seized Lower Egypt. Many look down on shepherds, not just in the older times, but also in the New Testament. Around 1000 BC, uh, let me cover this before I get to the New Testament. Around 1000 BC, David's emergence as king temporarily raised the shepherd's image. The lowliness of this trade made David's promotion striking. While poetic sections of scripture record positive allusions to shepherding, Scholars believe these references reflect a literary ideal, not reality. Okay? But if you look, and you look at all the people of the Bible that were great leaders in all of Egypt, do you know that a lot of them were shepherds? Amos was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. What psalm did he write? Psalms 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Moses, we know that he was an Egyptian. He was brought up as an Egyptian in all their ways. But when God really wanted to use him, how did he get him ready to be used by him? He made him a shepherd, did he not? So if you look, you will see that many of those that were great leaders in all of Israel were shepherds. But yet, the people during that time, they despised shepherds. So let's fast forward. In the days of the prophets, sheep herders symbolized judgment and social desolation. Amos contrasted his high calling as prophet with his former role as a shepherd. Dr. Joachim Jeremiah says shepherds were despised in everyday life. In general, they were considered second class and untrustworthy. Shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal. It eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor reputations, but others became victims of a cruel stereotype. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel, except on desert plains. The Mishnah, Judaism's written record of the oral law, also reflects this prejudice, referring to shepherds in belittling terms. One passage describes them as incompetent. Another says no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Jeremiah documents the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. He wrote, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Isn't that amazing? 
In Jerusalem, in the time of Jesus, Jeremiah notes, the rabbis asked with amazement how, in view of the despicable nature of shepherds, one can explain why God was called my shepherd in Psalms 23.1. Smug religious leaders maintained a strict caste system at the expense of shepherds and other common folk. Shepherds were officially labored sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. And into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, God's Son stepped forth. How surprising and significant that Father God handpicked lowly, unpretentious shepherds to hear the joyous news, it's a boy and he's the Messiah. Today's shepherds are even despised. I'm telling you, if you ever think you men of becoming a pastor, think twice. Because us as shepherds, we're belittled, we're hated, we're despised, we're outcasts. I mean, you try to tell people, they try to strike you down. How many shepherds today are being roughed up where they're at right now? How many of them are going through trials and turbulations? The shepherd is not an easy task, but it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of study, a lot of guidance, and absolute control of the Holy Spirit. Shepherds, listen to me. This is the reason why God points out in, in His Word that we are to be under true shepherds and not false shepherds. You know why? Because the shepherds have rule over where the church is going. And if you align yourself with a false shepherd, you're going to fall underneath those beliefs, underneath that doctrine, and underneath uh, that way that that church is going. And if you have a false shepherd, you're going to go in the wrong way. This is why we tell you, and we go through great lengths to tell you that you need to be following those shepherds, those under-shepherds that are following and living by the word of God. Today, today's shepherds are even despised. Let's go forward. Verse 47, 1 through 3. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, have come to the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? Now let me just... Uh, digress here in this and let me go back to verse 1 it says that we have come from the land of Canaan and indeed they are in the land of Goshen Goshen was specifically given to the Israelites by Pharaoh but in doing that who really was the one who did it God did did he not and there is always a principle Do you know why God says this in his word Come out from among them and be ye separate. That's right. God always separates his people from the world. And Egypt is a type of the what? World. That's right. So he would separate them and have them separated. But not only that, God also put them into a place, the land of Goshen, which is closest towards the land of Canaan. And so there they are. 
they are going to dwell in the land of Canaan. And this is why the word says, like when we talked about the plagues, that God would make a distinction between his people that were in the land of Canaan and all those that were in Egypt. When God uses that terminology, it's as though God has a place reserved that is, that is in Egypt, but it is not a part of Egypt. Are you following me? It is God separate where he put his people. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh asked a question, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. By the very hand of God, God is using all of them to fulfill his purpose. They are asking, Pharaoh is deciding, Joseph is speaking in his ear, and ultimately the sovereignty of God is given, and he allows them to dwell in the land of Goshen. Now I want you to understand this. If you ever get a chance, go ahead and Google Goshen. And, 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 and Google Goshen in um, uh, Egyptian times. And you're going to see that many, when you get the picture of Egypt, you're thinking of pyramids, right? You're thinking of the Sphinx sitting there, and you're thinking of nothing but desert and sand, right? A land of Goshen, man, it was very well watered. They had little canals that ran, and it ran the water into the different places for their agriculture. But yet Pharaoh was giving them the choices of lands, but it was really God who was doing it. And you know what? It was there that they would be placed in the land of Goshen, separate from the world. Verses 5 through 6. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Do you know? That not only what they spoke and why Joseph said what he said, which is all true of what we read, but do you know that he also wanted to give Pharaoh an understanding that not only is his family coming, but they have their own stuff as well as they would be a blessing to Pharaoh. And that's why he says to them, if you know any competent men among them, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So they would be a blessing to Pharaoh. But I want you to see where the favor of God goes. It actually goes to the Israelites because Pharaoh says this, the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. God also was going to take them after they came out of Egyptian bondage, he was going to take them to the promised land, the good land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And that's exactly what God does. He not only gives them favor in Egypt and gives, him, gives them the good land, the choicest of land, but when they come out of Egypt, he gives them the good land also. Do you see how what happens everywhere the Israelites go, they are blessed? Even when Abraham left his family, finally left his father, finally left all those things behind and went to the place God told him, there was blessing that followed him everywhere. You remember the first time he went to Egypt? It said he came out of Egypt with great possession and servants and maidservants. You remember that? He came out with great possession. Wherever he went, he was blessed. When his wife died, he went to ask 
for a place to bury her. And what was he given? He was given favor, wasn't he? He was given the choicest of tombs to bury her and all those that would die there. Everywhere they went, they were blessed. Not only that, Isaac. Isaac was blessed where he went. He, he was the fulfillment and lived in the enjoyment of his father and all that he possessed. And then you have Jacob. Jacob also was blessed, not just materially, but also with children and a big family who would ultimately go to bless the world. And you look at it, favor was with them everywhere they went. They were in Egypt, they were blessed. They came out of Egypt, they were blessed. When they came out of Egypt, what did it say? It said, God said to Moses, have every woman ask of her neighbor articles of gold and silver, right? And when they came out, it said that they had plundered all of Egypt. Favor went with them everywhere they went. And you know what? All God had to do was just tell them to go and get it, and they did it. It was almost as though it came to them, and that agrees with what the Word says. The Word says that when you are obedient to God, you won't have to go running after the blessing. The blessing overtakes you. It chases you down, and it comes to you. But blessing is more than just money. It's joy, happiness, peace, the things that money can't buy, right? So you have to understand that everywhere they went, they were blessed, and this is no different. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The very beginning of his life, Jacob had been a heel holder. He had been a usurper. One who took his brother's position. One who kind of snatched that uh, uh, a double portion from his brother's hands. He took the blessing from his brother. And yet God changes his whole life around. God brings him to the point where he goes through trial and tribulation. He loses Joseph. There's a famine. So he is going through trials and tribulations even until his old age. And it's like a pastor was saying earlier, trials and tribulations, they're promised to the believer. And you're going to go through them. But what's the blessing at the end? I know the blessing at the end. Do you know the blessing at the end? And this is why we press forward towards the mark, the high calling of Christ Jesus our Lord, because the blessing is there at the end. And I'm telling you, when Jacob finally reached the point where he saw his son Joseph, he was blessed. Listen. He went 22 years going through a trial and tribulation thinking he lost his son. But you know what? One day, God made it right. And all things worked together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It all worked out at the end for Jacob. God brought the blessing. But 22 years, he waited. He didn't even know what was going to come upon him. And all of a sudden, one day, God brought it. So that brings me to my last point, and I'm going to end here. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob now came to a point in his life where he wasn't just the one that was just a joy to be around. He wasn't one that was transformed into a heel holder, one who stole, one who usurped. He wasn't just that one person. He had been transformed through trials and tribulations. God molded him. God made him the man that he wanted him to be. And at the end of it, we can see 
the Israel that God had commanded to come forth. And you know what that was? One who blesses. What about you? Are you to the point now where people see you and they see the smile on your face, but are you able to bless people? When people come into your midst, are they blessed for the words you speak? Are they blessed for the encouragement you give? Are they blessed with everything that God has inside of you that when it comes out, man, they can't help but be blessed? When they walk away from you, they're saying, man, I want to turn right back around. I want to go back in there. I want to go back in with them. We got to be people that come to a point where when you're just in that presence of that person, you can't help but be blessed. It's not because of them, but it's because God who is living in them. When the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in one's life, you cannot help but be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you do by your divine hand. We realize that we're nothing in ourselves, that we need you every moment of every hour of every day. Father, help us, guide us, direct us, and lead us, Lord, through these days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are interested in visiting the Wild Ministries, we are located at 5700 South Country Club Way, Tempe, Arizona, 85283. Our Sunday service begins at 10 a.m. and ends at 12 noon. Our Bible study services are on Wednesdays beginning at 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. For families with children, the Well Ministries has classes available for children 6 months to 17 years old. If you have any questions, you can contact the senior pastor, Lane Andrews, at 602-460-2195. Or the associate pastor, Ryan Reed, at 602-434-4073. Come drink at the well. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. Goodbye and God bless.